Hi there, I'm Maddie and I serve on the Joy Production team. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Through taking the time to listen to this message, we pray you'll not only come to know more about God, but you'll come to know more about yourself as well. Once again, thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy today's message. Oh my goodness. I know we usually just text, but I like had to talk to someone. You will never guess what just happened. No, I want you to guess. No, that's not it at all. Anywho, so I went to bed how I always do, which is always super hard the night before Christmas. I know, right? Like, it's crazy. So I'm in my bed, and the whole time, I'm just imagining all my presents are getting put under the tree. It's so hard to go to bed when you know what's happening. Talking about that right now, let me finish my story. So I wake up in the morning, so excited to see all my presents, and you'll never guess what I see. No, I want you to guess. <sighs> None of my presents were there. I quickly ran to my parents and woke them up, asking what had happened. No, they had no clue. None. This is so upsetting. I don't know who would do such a thing. Who would steal like that from a pretty decent family like us? You know we look forward to this day for so long, and now there's nothing. No joy, no smiles on our faces, no laughter, and not even pancakes. It's terrible. I tell you, it's just terrible. It's like the excitement, the, the, the joy is gone. I know you, you're right. Anywho, enough about me. How are you? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to talk about some things this morning. We're starting a series that we're calling The Joy Robber. And I have a quick question to ask of you, or ask you, uh, men and women here that are this, here this morning. How many of you are those people that you just love Christmas? You love everything about Christmas. How many, I mean, not just like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and presents, but I mean, you love everything about, you're like the fa-la-la-la lifetime champion. You're, you're just, you've got the little socks. You know, I've seen them now. They're advertised. If you see the bottom of my socks, I'm watching Christmas movies or whatever it is, or the sweatshirt. How many of you are like that? It's like, you could never hear enough Christmas songs. Anyone? All right, there's a few of you that are out there. There's a few of you that it's like, man, we could do 24-7, you know, 12 months out of the year Christmas music, Christmas music, and that wouldn't be enough. I mean, you're like that. And, and I, have, I have some news for those of you that are like that, that you just love Christmas, and you think everybody, you think that your whole life and everything should be like the little, I did watch one Falalala Lifetime movie about the, 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 somehow they ended up in a snow globe. I didn't see the beginning or the end, but they were in a snow, and you're, you're like, man, if I could just be that person, and every day would be Christmas. Can I tell you this morning that not everybody likes Christmas as much as you do? There are some people that it's like, man, if I hear Frosty the Snowman one more time, I'm going to take that corncob pipe and his button nose, and we're going to put it where, you know, where it melts fast. And so we're, we're not going to, we don't want, I'm tired. If I hear another Christmas song, I've had enough. <laughs> you know, sometimes there, there are people who are kind of like that. And, 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 you know, I don't know, Christmas is, is weird. I, I never thought, I never thought that I would miss Black Friday. And not that I would not miss it like, 
I wouldn't go to it. I just thought that I would never miss Black Friday. Like, you know, as far as I was concerned, my daughter, she loved Black Friday. She would go and she'd be one of those people standing in long lines, waiting until the doors open at midnight or whatever time. And she was so excited about Black Friday. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but Black Friday has changed. I mean, it was Black Friday. And then it was Cyber Monday. And then it was a national holiday from Black Friday to Cyber Monday. And now every day is Black Friday. Every day is Cyber Monday. Every day is everything. Our inboxes, mail, email, you know, full. And, and I don't know if you've been distracted, but I'm like, delete, delete. Ooh, well, maybe I wouldn't mind something like that. You know, I hate that when that happens. But I never thought I'd miss Black Friday until Black Friday became like from, from uh, you know, from the beginning of November to December 25th. It's like, are you kidding me? And then the pressure, the stress that comes with all of the stuff that happens at Christmas. And for the Christmas purists, there's way too much commercialism. Everything's too expensive. It's way, I've seen the big billboards, you know, uh, what is it, buy less or something like that or do more with less. I don't know what it is, but it's like, you know, you, we already have too much junk and stuff and our houses are full. Now we're renting storage sheds because we need all that stuff. And I don't know why, but I go to Best Buy and it's like I already have a couple of flat screen TVs, but I just need another one. <laughs> Amen, amen. And every guy said? Amen. <laughs> amen, exactly. And it's like, well, anyway. And so, so there is that pressure of the moment and the commercialism and all of the things that happen with that. And not only that, but then it seems like, you know, the, the, the pressure of the moment and the season. And then we start to get closer to the actual day. And it's like, how much money are we going to spend? Who are we going to buy for? Whose house are we going to spend Christmas Day with or Christmas Eve with? And it's kind of like, particularly for couples starting out. And if you have both sets of parents or sometimes three or four sets of parents because of divorce and different things things like that. It's like, whose house are we going to go to? Which really translated means, who are we going to disappoint or which parent are we going to tick off the most? Because I'm expected to show up on Christmas Eve and, you know, all of these different things that happen. And it's like, man, I can't wait until, you know, January happens. And then, and then there is, you know, the very real thing over the last month we've done here at Joy, we've done three funerals. And and, and there's the very real thing of that for some people, Christmas is, is a painful time because it's going to be their first Christmas without somebody, without a husband, without a, a wife or a spouse or a child, whatever it might be. And, and those are very, very, very real things that happen in families, happens in homes. And so uh, I, I want to remind you that not everybody loves Christmas maybe as much as you do, but there's a lot more that I want to talk to you about. And, and unless you think I'm a Grinch, I'm not a Grinch. I like Christmas a lot. I really like Christmas Eve. I really like Christmas Day. I like those. I don't really like Christmas starting sometime in November and ending, you know, when you get your final bill in February kind of a thing. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, yesterday, all these bills, they seem so far away. <laughs> now it looks as though they're here to stay. <laughs> oh, I believe in yesterday. Why I spent so much, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> the things that first service misses out on, I'll tell you what, they just... You, are, you inspire me. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's a lot of things that happen at Christmas time, a lot of Grinches that try to steal your joy, that try to steal things. And, and that's what I want to talk about. We have, you know, kind of a, a Grinch-ish 
art for you this, this, this series, and, and I'm not a Grinch. I love Christmas. I, I, I like a lot of things about it. I, I like the family. I like the friends. I like, really like the food uh, uh, and all of those things. But here's a couple of things just as we start out this morning. Here's three things that you, pretty much one of these three things are going to happen. There'll be a Grinch that will try to steal your Christmas, and, 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 and number one, something's going to go wrong. You can rest assured that in the next two weeks before Christmas actually happens, something is, no matter how foolproof your plan is, there will be a fool that will, that will be able to break your foolproof plan and something is going to go wrong. Not only that, but your patience is going to get tested. Whether it's at Walmart in a long checkout line, whether it's in traffic, whether it's somebody, you know, late with something that you expected or UPS or FedEx or somebody that isn't delivering and something's not happening, your patience is going to be tested and you're going to get to the end and you're going to wonder, can I hang on another day? I just want this season over. And not only that, but somebody is going to disappoint you. Somebody's not going to do what they said they would do. Somebody's going to do something they said they'd never do again. They're going to drink too much. They're going to eat too much. They're going to whatever, spoil the day. Somebody, some way, is going to disappoint you. And those are things that, that we know. <laughs> At least one of those things, if not all of those things, can possibly and probably will happen this Christmas season. Now, my question in, 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 to you this morning and in this series is when that begins to happen, because those are things that tend to steal our joy from us. When those things begin to happen, can we still maintain our joy? Can we still, as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, somebody who believes in Jesus, can we still have joy unspeakable and full of glory? And I believe the answer to that is yes, but I think sometimes we misunderstand what joy actually is. And we misunderstand how we can get it and how we can lose it. Because we don't know what it is or where it comes from, or what sustains or nourishes it when it's absent from us because we didn't know what it was. We don't know how to get it at all. And so let me give you a couple of verses of Scripture to kind of lay a little bit of a foundation, and many of these are things that we could spend a lot of time talking about. But I just want you to understand a, 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 an initial concept and principle as it relates to the follower of Christ and joy. In John chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus is speaking and he says, these things I have spoken to you. I've, Jesus is like, can you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? These are things I'm talking to you about. And here's the reason why I want you to. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you. Very simple question. Christianity 101, Jesus 101. How many of you think that Jesus has joy? Amen? Almost half of you believe that Jesus is joyful. <clears throat> that is better than normal around here. And it was higher than, than, than the first service. So you guys are already, are already better. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy, the joy that I have, Jesus said, I'm saying some things to you. I want you to understand some things so that the joy that I have is in you. Notice where that joy is. It's where? It's in us. It's in us. And so he said, then he said, and that your joy, the joy that you have that's a result of what I said and is now in you, that your joy would be full. Other translations say that your joy would be complete, that your joy would, would arrive somewhere in a mature position. And I was thinking, you know, I've got this bottle of water, and there's about a half a bottle of water, or half, it's, it's about half full. Jesus said, I'm speaking to you, I'm talking to you, I'm saying some things to you so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be complete. It would be full. Now, 
I don't know, but sometimes I've been around Christians for a long time. I actually sometimes would be happy if we had Christians that would just be half full. Look at the person next to you and say, he's talking about you right now. <laughs> Suddenly got quiet in this Baptist church. <laughs> There's a joy that Jesus wants us to have. And I think of full, full, full meaning that if we had enough water, we could fill us all the way to the top where just a little bit more would cause it to spill over. That's the kind of joy that Jesus said, I've given to you. I've said some things to you. I'm talking to you about some things so that the joy that I have would be in you. And it would be complete. It would be full. It would spill over. And I think the world needs to see Christians that have that kind of joy. Not a happiness that's dependent on what's going on around me, but a joy that's on the inside of me. The Apostle Paul was writing something similar after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And he says in Galatians 5.22, he said, the fruit of the Spirit. And really what he's talking about is because Jesus lives in you, you're a spirit being first of all. That's who you are. You, you are a spirit being. You, you have a, a, a soul, that's your mind, your will, your emotions, and you live inside this body. And the spirit of man, the spirit of humanity is who Jesus came to save, to change, and to, to, to touch. When, when the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, old things passed away. The old things that passed away were a, a spirit nature that was infected with the law of sin and death. And so that died, and God put a new, that's why we call it the new birth, being born again. God put a new spirit on the inside of you. And that new spirit was regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit affects our spirit, in a sense, planting a seed in our spirit, and eventually that seed is going to grow up. And it's going to produce the character of God, the nature of God, and the life of God in us. And that's why Paul was writing this to the church at Galatia. Because the church at Galatia, they were in a battle between the law, the Ten Commandments, and the writings of Moses, and grace. And God's work in their life because of faith. And so there was religious leaders from Jerusalem that came to the region of Galatia and said, Okay, that's great that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life by faith, but now you've got to follow the teachings of Moses. You need to be circumcised and celebrate the feast days and all this other stuff. And the guy's like, hey, I don't think that that's exactly where I want to go. And the apostle Paul was upset, and he said, the Spirit of God has done something on the inside of you. And there's a seed on the inside of you that, that, that will grow. And so the fruit of the Spirit is love. And where's love? It's on the inside. Whether you realize it or not, this way you got love on the inside of you. Love is there. Well, I know it seems to be there when there are people I like are around, but that knucklehead, I, I, I tell you, I have a hard time loving them. I don't think I love them. And there are people that have wronged you and hurt you, and it's like, I'm not sure that I love them. The Bible says you can love them because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say, well, I don't feel love. How come I don't feel like loving them? Because it's still a seed. It hasn't grown. It hasn't matured. There's not a harvest because at the harvest is where the fruit comes from. The, the harvest comes because there is fruit there. And what have we learned over the last month? What have we learned about the harvest? The harvest is, we, oh, we're so excited about the harvest. It's harvest time. You know what harvest time is? It's what? It's work. And a lot of times we don't see the fruit of the Spirit because we don't want to do the work. But not only is the spirit of love on the inside of us because Jesus is on the inside of us, he goes on and he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy. 
Joy is a fruit that is, whether you realize it or not, joy's on the inside of you. Praise God. Yeah, well, I don't feel very happy. Well, that's because happiness and joy are two different things. One is dependent on the outside. The other is dependent on the inside. And joy is an inward thing. It's an inside thing. And sometimes, just like love, it has to be nurtured, it has to be allowed to grow, and it has to come to fruition, it has to come to maturity so that it can produce in your life. But if you don't know that it's a part of who you are, then you will not be joyful, just like you won't be a loving person. And he goes on and he says that it is peace. Why would there be peace in us? Because the Prince of Peace resides in us. And he says it's long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, if I allow the Spirit of God on the inside of me that has helped to recreate my human spirit, if I allow that to be the guiding force, the controlling force of my life, then I will fulfill all of the requirements of the law. And it was the idea of the external trying to be good enough to merit God's grace and favor or understanding that because of faith in Christ, something on the inside of me produces and propels me to be able to accomplish and be the person that God wants me to be. And so Jesus said, I'm talking to you and I'm saying some things that will produce on the inside of you the same joy that I have. And then in Galatians 5, he says that there's the fruit of the Spirit and one of those, one of those characteristics of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us is joy. And then in John chapter 16 and verse 22, Jesus is, he's been teaching his disciples, been talking to them, and he's said some things that are very difficult for them to understand. He's been talking about his death. He's been talking about Jerusalem. He's been talking about what is about to happen to him, and they're afraid because Jesus said, I am going to leave you, and, and it has impacted them because it's like, well, wait a minute, Jesus, you're the, you're the one that walked on the water. You're the one that, you know, you're the one that told us how to get a coin out of a fish's mouth. And you're the one that has been able to confound the religious leaders. And you're doing the miracles. And you're making fish filet sandwiches. You're doing all these different things. And I don't understand. What do you mean you're leaving? And so Jesus says in John 16, he says, therefore now you have sorrow as a result of what he said. Right now you have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart. Where's joy? In us. He said, I will see you again, and your heart is going to rejoice. It's, rejoice is, is re, before, and joy, or joy, so rejoice, to re, it's to stir up something that was there before. You're going to see some things that are going to shake your faith, but don't worry. You're going to rejoice. And then Jesus completes it, and he says this, and your joy, that's a result of what I'm saying and what I'm doing, your joy, no one, no one will take from you. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, and by that meaning, if you've, first of all, made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you're born again, you've accepted him as your savior, joy is on the inside of you. It's there right now. And if joy is on the inside of you, and if it's the Jesus kind of joy, the God kind of joy, the fruit of the Spirit kind of joy, then that joy is a joy that nobody can steal from you. No man takes it from you. It is yours. Be just like if you had a $100 bill and somebody's trying to get that $100 bill from you, you would probably be fighting back. 
You'd be like, no, uh-uh, that's mine. You're not touching it. It is mine. I, you know, and, and there's a tug of war that might go on for a short time, but you do everything you can to win. It should be that way with our joy. And so, so <clears throat> here's kind of my thought and my question that we're going to pursue over the next couple of weeks. If, as a part of the new creation being in Christ, if I have joy available to me and it's on the inside of me, then why is it that I don't feel that joy? Why is it that that joy doesn't seem to be complete, that there doesn't seem to be any fruit of joy? And that brings me to the Christmas story because there's a bunch of things in that that I want to talk to you about. And, and, and you know, I was thinking yesterday as I was watching the kids do the, you, you know, I mean, they had the manger scene, they had the angels, they had the, the wise men and the shepherds. They had all of those things and all of those things are, powerful and wonderful and beautiful parts of the Christmas story. But really, when you get to the heart of what was in the, I think, the heart of God and the mind of God, and, and particularly for the nation of Israel, Israel wanted a divine intervention. Israel wanted God to do something. I'm going to start with, with humanity. Israel wanted God to do something because there had been promises, and, and while they didn't know it, and we have the benefit of hindsight now being 2020, they didn't know that they were at the tail end of what was known as the 400 years of silence. But in those 400 years of silence, the people that had been coming through that, there was no voice of God, no word of God. There was the, the, the practice of religion, but there was no reality. There was no life that was there, and they were just coming through that. And they, were, they knew the prophetic words. They knew that there was going to be a Messiah. They knew that eventually Jerusalem would be restored, that Israel would be restored to its former glory. They, they knew all of these different things, but it seemed like God was taking too long. It seemed like it would never happen, and they were losing sight of that. And, and, and so they were yearning for and wanting God to intervene in their situations. They wanted God to be able to do, to do something powerful. Well, that's good. That's, good, that, that, that's a good first step, but right on the other side of that, not only did they want God's intervention, God wanted to intervene because God's a God of mercy and God's a God of grace and God had a plan and God wanted to do some things. And so you have the nation of Israel and they're like, God, would you please intervene? Oh God, please, we, we want you to send the Messiah, send a redeemer, send a king. We want you to restore Israel and Jerusalem. We want you to do those things. And God is like, yes, I want to do those things. Yes, I want to intervene. And yes, I want Israel to be restored. I want my chosen people to be the people that I've created them to be. And you would think, what would be the problem? Were there... There should be no problem at all, right? Because God, God wants to intervene and the people want God to intervene. And so we read about the intervention, if you will, in John chapter 1. And God steps into, <clears throat> into the nation of Israel, into our world. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And, and he was in the beginning with God, or the word was at the very beginning with God. All things were made through him, through the word. And we know in Genesis it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then God said, his word went forth. And every time his word went forth, creation resulted. And it resulted with light, and, and, and it resulted with the earth, and the sun, and the moon, and the stars, the fish, and all the creeping things that creep on the earth. God said, and it became, the word was said, and it became. All things were made through him, and without him, without the word, nothing was made that was made. In him, or in the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. 
That life was the light of man. And, and, and I, I, I like to call it this, God's one man plan. God had a plan that he would put in humanity, he would put in one man, everything that he wanted all of humanity to be. And so he put in Adam everything that he wanted, I, I would say it almost this way, in a New Testament vernacular, he put the fruit of the Spirit in the inside of Adam. And then he told Adam and Eve, he said, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. In other words, I want you to fill the earth with people who are just like you because you're just like me. And so it was God's one-man plan, but unfortunately, before the reproduction process began to take place, sin entered in. Adam and Eve fell, and sin entered into their spirit, which is why we need to be born again, not just be better, not just try harder. We actually need to have our nature changed because our nature was corrupted. And God had a one-man plan for that as well. It's why Jesus was called the second Adam. And just like anybody who was born in, in that sense from, from Adam and Eve, they carried that stain of sin. Everybody who is born from Christ carries that life now on the inside of them. And so again, he says, in him was life, the light was the light of men. And then in verse 14, we read these words. And again, John has the benefit of looking back at all of these things that have happened. And he says, and the word... That was from the beginning, the word that created everything. The word became flesh, human flesh and blood and body and bone. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus came to this earth, the living word, the spoken word, became flesh, became a human being and dwelt among us. And that, in a sense, is the Christmas story. It is God's intervention into planet earth by sending the, the Messiah, by sending a redeemer. It was God's intervention for the problems of humanity. But as you probably are aware, there's another side to the story. Because Israel wanted deliverance and Israel wanted intervention and God wanted to deliver and God wanted to intervene, but there was a problem. We read John's same writing in verse 5 and he says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it. This light that was the life of, the, the, this life that was the light of men, it shined in a dark place and the darkness said, I do not understand God's intervention. I can't see what God's doing. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Remember, again, there wasn't anything that was made that wasn't made by the word of God. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The Passion Translation reads like this. He entered into the very world that he created, yet the world was unaware he came to the very people that he created. That's, that's all of humanity. He came to all of the people that he created, to those, and then to those who should have recognized him. That was the Jews. The Jews, if anybody, who were looking for a Messiah, looking for the Redeemer, longing and waiting for the day that he would appear. And notice what it says. To those who should have received him, but they did not receive him. Consider this. Think about this. God wanted to intervene. Israel wanted an intervention. Humanity needed God to intervene. And yet when God intervened, when God stepped into the problem of humanity, the world couldn't comprehend it. People couldn't receive it. People couldn't understand it. And worse, they rejected it. 
They rejected it. They said, no, I don't like that way. God, I just want you to fix my problem. God, I just want you to show up. God, I just want you to do what I need you to do. Would you please make it convenient? Would make it easy? Help me to understand it, God. I, I, I want a nice, neat, pretty bow package wrapped that, that, that is easy for me to understand, that is not too inconvenient. If there's anything that we should understand about the Christmas story is that there wasn't any part of that miracle that was convenient. There wasn't any part of that miracle that was easy. There wasn't any part of that miracle that did not cost something, someone, somewhere. You think about, I mean, Jesus had to come into this earth through, through legal means. He had to be born here. Which meant he had to be carried for nine months in Mary's womb. And that could not have been easy for Mary. And we've heard all of, I think most of you understand. You've heard the stories. You, you've maybe heard the analogies. But you can understand for a young teenage girl to begin to admit to her fiancé that she's pregnant. And again, we have the... We have the, the benefit of being able to look backwards. We, we understand, at least limitedly, we understand what went on and how it all happened. But can you imagine being in that moment? Oh, God, I want you to show up. Oh, God, I want, you to, I, I want you to work and I want you to move. And now you've got to explain something that is almost unexplainable. And I find it, I don't know, every time I've ever read, you know, it's like, and Joseph put, he, he, you know, he, he put her away privately. Put her, and, and, and that word privily or privately is like, well, was it Jewish mafia or something? I mean, were they going to just get rid of her? Or so? I don't understand. But, but he did it in a respectful way because of his love for her. But it couldn't have been easy. And then when his birth is announced and when, when he is physically born and he's born in a stable, he's born in a manger and you would think if God's son, the redeemer and the most powerful being that was ever going to be born into this earth, wouldn't it be with more fanfare? Wouldn't it be in a more right place, a palace and, a, and all of these different things? And we understand now looking back that there was reason for that. It was because God wanted his son and he wanted the redeemer and mercy to be accessible to everybody. It wasn't just for the elite, which is why he wasn't born in a palace. And it wasn't just a mighty king or a mighty warrior that was born. It was a baby that was born. Because we would understand that a baby is one of the most dependent things that, that, that are out there. They are so vulnerable when they're first born. And there's, it takes faith to understand that. It takes faith to see that. But beyond that, you have to admit, there is no way in the world that a baby could be a redeemer. A mighty king, yes. A mighty warrior, yes. But a little baby, no. So there would be no mistake that it was God that was behind all of this. And then the most powerful person in, in that area, the king said, I want to kill every baby under the age of two. And they begin, he begins to carry out that plan. How vulnerable is that? Where do we go? What do we do? It was not easy. They had to leave everything. They had to run to Egypt, but they didn't have any money to get there. And so God sent from the east some kings. Some provision came so that they could get there. There wasn't one thing about the miracle of the birth of Christ that was convenient or easy. It was all hard. And like Israel, we're just saying, God, I just want you to change. And by the way, I'm still talking about joy. In case you forgot the subject. Because we're all saying this, God, I, 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 I want you to intervene in my finances. God, I want you to inter intervene in my job. I'm surrounded by a bunch of knuckleheads, and my boss is stingy, and they're greedy. And God, I want, you to, I want you to intervene in my marriage because my spouse is the Grinch personified. The Grinch became flesh and married me. And if my spouse was gone, I'd be happy, happy, happy. If God, if you would just change them. 
God, I want you to intervene. And sometimes God's intervention shows up as something that is inconvenient. It shows up as a book. Here, read this. Here, go to this financial management small group. There's a, no, 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 I don't have time for that. God, I just want you to fix my problem. God, I just want you to intervene in my situation and in my circumstance. Here's a small group that would help you in a marriage. Here's a small group that would help you deal with your kids that are going crazy and driving you crazy. You don't understand. I'm just, I'm just really busy and I'm uncomfortable around other people. I'm uncomfortable in groups. I'm afraid I might have to pray. I'm afraid I might. Get off of your fear. Get off of that stuff because sometimes God's intervention shows up as something that is inconvenient and you're wanting God to move in your life and yet you're rejecting the very movement of God in that. And as I've said before, I want to say it again, God won't fix what you fake. God can't heal what you keep hidden. And sometimes God is saying, I want to show you something. I want to reveal something to you. I want you to see something in the mirror so I can fix what's in you, and then I'll take care of the rest. But as long as we're looking at other people as the problem, other circumstances at the problem, and it's really easy for us to point our finger at all the joy robbers in our life, but sometimes, and this is where we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, sometimes the joy robber isn't other people. And sometimes the joy robber isn't circumstances. It's not a lack of money. It's not a lack of this or a lack of that. Sometimes the joy robber's you. And I don't mean you're stealing other people's joy. I mean you've robbed your own joy. Remember what Jesus said in John 16, 22. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Your joy, no one, no one, no one. The devil himself cannot steal your joy. But you can forfeit it. You can give it up. You see, here's the thing. I meant to mention this earlier. Here's the thing. Israel wanted a divine intervention. God wanted to intervene. But while Israel wanted a divine intervention, God wanted Israel to have something more. God wanted Israel to have a revelation. God wanted to reveal his plan, his heart, his son. God wanted to reveal those things to the nation of Israel and to all of humanity. Because by virtue of that revelation, change would come. Which, which sort of brings me to this point that, that I want you to consider over this next week. And, and as I said, we'll, we'll, we'll continue this, this thought, if you will, over the next couple of weeks. It's so easy for us at times to look at other people. They're our problem. The government is our problem. Politicians are our problem. Democrats, Republicans, finances, uh, uh, you know, rules, uh, whatever it might be. We could stand up here and list over and over and over and over again all of the problems, all of the joy robbers, all of the chaos, all of the things that steal our peace and our joy. We could do that. But if we understand the Bible right, the Bible says that there's a joy that's in us because of what Jesus did in us. And so a couple of things that I want you to think about because sometimes the situation, the circumstance, what we're going through isn't as important as how we interpret it. Israel and all of humanity was lost in darkness, in sin. And that was a big problem. They interpreted, though, the plan of God, and you see it through the 30 years, 33 years that Jesus was on the earth, the last three years of his ministry, they interpreted 
the revelation of God, the plan of God, the intervention of God wrongly. And because they interpreted it wrongly, they never benefited from the Redeemer and the Savior that came. And so sometimes a divine intervention needs a divine revelation. And sometimes God's intervening in your life. Sometimes God's asking you to do something or presenting you with a challenge, presenting you with something, or sometimes just something happens in life. And it's God, in a sense, intervening. And you, we need to say, God, what are you trying to show me in this? What is it that, that I need to work on? And a divine revelation. We need a divine revelation so we have the right interpretation. It's not life that's against me. It's not God that's against me. It's not people that are against me. It's not, you know, all of these things that are stacked up against me. It's not that stuff. God, you want to show me something, and if I can just get it right, if I can just make the adjustment, if I can just make the repair, then, then the cares of this life, the fear, the chaos begin to dissipate, and I can understand and I can see. The Christmas story that we read in the New Testament is full of those things. So happiness is dependent. I think this, happiness is dependent on what's going on around me. It's dependent on how much money I have. It's dependent on how, how, how people please me. It's dependent on how life seems to be going at the moment. That's happiness. But true joy is independent of that. True joy is dependent upon what I believe about God. And we sang the song that he's good. Good. Oh, he's good. We can rejoice about that, but sometimes when we sing the line, you're never going to let me down. And people are like, you know what? I don't know if I can sing that line. See, sometimes we need a divine interpretation why it seems like things are against us. Because I, 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 I'm pretty simple in what I believe. I don't believe that God's ever our problem. God is always our solution. He's always our answer. And life is designed to be lived in such a way. I mean, we have, well, I'm getting into a whole bunch of stuff here. We've fallen so far short in life and our living. We've fallen so far short of the plan of God and how far we just don't comprehend the life and the joy that God has for us. So you have a joy on the inside of your church. And I believe with all of my heart, I long in my life, in our lives, in us as a church, I long for us to live with that reality of an indwelling presence of God, an indwelling Savior who changes our life in such a way that we reflect love and that we reflect joy, that we carry and bear a harvest of love and joy and peace wherever we go. Because that's what's going to change the world. That's what's going to change the people's lives around us. That's what I believe this world is longing to see in our lives. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to happen to you this month. Somebody's going to disappoint you. Your patience is going to be tested and stuff's not going to work out the way that you want it to work out. But yet in all of those things, there's a joy that's in you. There's a joy that's in you. I think the most important thing that you and I can do is to remember to keep the main thing, the main thing, and you and your plan are not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. I thank you for doing what we asked you to do, that you taught us, that you brought revelation to us. I thank you for all of those things. Lord, we declare this morning, we know deep down, we know that you're good. 
We know that your plans are good for us. We know that you have a plan to, to, to prosper us, to bless us, to bring us into good things. And yet, Father, sometimes life doesn't look like that. So, Father, I pray that as much as we want an intervention from you, that we would also have a revelation of you. And that, Father, if you want to work on the inside of us, we say we open up our hearts and we say, please do, Father. Please work in us. Reveal to me. Show me the path. Show me the plan. Show me what I need to change. If you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus your Savior, you've never been born again, as we mentioned this morning, and you would say, Pastor, that sounds good. I don't understand everything, but that sounds good. I want to give my heart and life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than repeat a prayer after me and to slip your hand up. If you say, Pastor, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, just hold your hand up real high so I can pray with you. Just hold it up for a moment. Anyone? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, again, I thank you for the men and women of this congregation, for the heart of this church. And, Father, we believe that we carry and name joy and that, Father, it should be joy unspeakable and full of glory, not just inside these four walls. But, Father, help us to live out on our Monday the things that we learned on our Sunday. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.